he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. If it feels jarring to have gone from one minute walking around the church singing the praises of our great King to all of a sudden hearing about his death as we sit here on the first Sunday that begins Holy Week before Easter, then the liturgy has had its right effect. It's supposed to be jarring, as it was jarring for the people of God at this time, 2,000 years ago, in Jerusalem. That one minute the people were celebrating, and the next minute the celebrated one was being nailed to a tree. So this liturgy of Palm Sunday always has this sort of clash and this sort of um, shock to it, intentionally to show us the sort of great um, and terrible drama, as it were, that unfolded in Jerusalem so long ago. There is so much to be said. Indeed, the whole Christian message, the whole gospel, everything about the Christian life comes out of Jesus' death and his resurrection, right? We're going to be focusing on all of these things in great detail through the course of this week. I want to take today to sort of zoom in on one, what strikes me as peculiar aspect of the gospel lesson that we just heard. And it's the silence of Jesus. It's a silence that Isaiah prophesying 600 years before it would happen, prophesied that when the suffering Son of Man would come, when Jesus would come, when he was faced with oppression, he would remain silent. So it was prophesied, and then we heard it described, right, in Matthew's Gospel. And not just once, but sort of glaringly throughout the Gospel reading, Jesus remains silent. (coughs) In at least four instances, right, when he's before Pilate, when he comes before the crowd who are yelling for his crucifixion, when he's before the soldiers who so cruelly mock and abuse him, and then when he is hanging from the cross, even then, when he's in sort of a most humiliated state, the scribes and the chief priests mock him further. And in the face of all of these things, he remains quiet, remains silent. Which is very interesting, I think. And I want to ask the question, why? Why did he stay silent? Why was it important for Isaiah to speak about his silence in prophecy? I think in each of these instances, these four instances of his silence, there are particular reasons, and they all stem from one big reason, which I'll come to. So let me begin with the particulars. When we look at Jesus before Pilate, and we have this sort of transcribed with different detail in the different Gospels, right? Jesus is sort of constantly referring to what Pilate is himself saying in the moment. He doesn't just sort of, you know, say yes or no. You know, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you just said so. And, you know, he doesn't just say, well, yes, in fact, I am. He, he says, you said so. And then when Pilate kind of pushes further and asks him a second time, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus didn't say anything. And in thinking about, well, why? Why wouldn't you just come out in that moment and say, yes, I think the reason is because... Pilate wasn't going to do anything with that answer. His inquiry wasn't the earnest inquiry of someone who was really seeking after God, like Joseph of Arimathea, who Mark says was expectantly waiting for the kingdom of God. Pilate was asking with this sort of uncommitted, kind of casual, curious inquiry, like, 
Are you the king of the Jews? If Jesus had said yes, was Pilate going to say, oh, well, here's all my honor, and I, I honor you as king? Like, no. Jesus knew what was in a man. He knew that Pilate wasn't going to honor him in that way. So he refused to throw pearls before swine. He didn't answer his question the second time. He stayed silent. When he's then sort of brought in this sort of courtroom scene, it, it's not right to even call it a trial, right? Because where's the justice? Right? The judge and the accusers uh, collude. But when, he comes, when the crowd comes before him and they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, sort of indicting him as worthy of death, right? that accusation, again, Jesus stays silent. He doesn't say, Pilate, don't listen to them. You know, they're, they're, they're falsely accusing me. They're notably absent from the gospel that we just heard. He just stands there and lets the false accusation and the, and the, the call for crucifixion just stand. He's willing to suffer that. Now we know from where we stand that the root of his willingness in this instance is because he came to die. He was willing to die. The Jews and the chief priests and Pilate all colluding to kill him, they didn't know that what was being offered was atonement for the sins of the world. They wanted to be rid of this person who hadn't met their expectations in one way or another or was troubling society in one way or another. They didn't know that he was Jesus dying for the sins of the whole world. They just wanted him gone. But Jesus knew why he wanted to die. He knew what he had come to earth for, to ransom you and me and bring us back into right relationship with the Father. So he willingly accepts unjust accusation and, uh, and the charge to be crucified because of his mission. So he stays silent. And then when the punishment, you know, given for no good reason other than the, the anger of the mob, right? When the punishment's beaten out and the soldiers are actually hitting him and spitting on him and insulting him, mocking him, it's such a terrible picture, right? He is the king of the Jews, indeed the king of all the world. And yet, so they're saying the right words with their lips, but because they're mocking, it's this dark and bitter irony in the gospel. But Jesus shows that he's willing to be insulted. Right? This is what we heard Paul describing about Jesus in Philippians, that even though he was, is the great high king, he didn't sort of... Um, demand the honors that came with that, but humbled himself. He, with his humble heart, he willingly became a man and willingly let these sort of low-ranking soldiers who would be the ones administering such punishments spit in his face. I mean, just imagine this at any human level. It's unimaginable. If like some sort of like, you know, just signed up soldier spits in the face of the five-star general, I mean, we'd be like, what's happening? And yet this is so much more than that. He's willing to be insulted. So, because he's willing to be insulted, he doesn't fight back. He doesn't defend himself. He's silent in the face of insult and injury. And then in the fourth instance, when he's hung from the cross and being mocked, right? Like sort of people who are sort of saying like, oh, you said you had all this power, now show us. And they're deriding him, as the gospel says. Again, he remains silent, revealing that he's willing to go unrecognized. Even though he is the son of God and the great high king, He's not sort of forcing that recognition on others. He's not sort of giving the demonstrations of power that they're sort of saying that they're asking for. And we know that he has that power, right? We learn elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus says, I have legions of angels I could command at an instant. Like he had all the power. He could have done exactly what they said. He could have come down from the cross. He could have done all the things they were baiting him about. 
But he doesn't. He just accepts their baiting and remains silent. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers, he was silent. The thing I think that unites the silence is a deep, deep, underwriting willingness to do the will of God. It's because God had willed him to come and be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Because as we see in Gethsemane, Jesus had given himself to that will. Not my will, but your will be done. And that wasn't the first time he prayed that prayer, right? That was Jesus' lifelong mission. In all of his teaching and his work, he's saying, I do what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. He's constantly giving himself over to the Father's will. And uniquely among all of the universe, it was the Father's will for him to die for all of us. But the root of that is this this submission to the Father's will, even when it's painful. And for him it was maximally painful, right? Not just physically with the agonies, but the spiritual desolations, which we can't even imagine from where we stand as human beings. To feel as the Son a sense of being forsaken by the Father, it's an unimaginable pain. I once read a book, and I'll never forget the line, it just destroyed me when I read it. It was a book of very intense academic theology about the cross, and it was a very boring book on the whole. (laughs) But, (laughs) But it said only a God could understand the pain of God and what it means for God to die. Like we're only tracing the very shadows of the, these things as we try and understand them. But we know that Jesus reveals in this silence that he was willing to do God's will. So I, as I sort of sought to understand these scriptures, those are the reasons I think Jesus is silent. We know that he was silent. I think there's a few ways in which this silence, this, these reasons can be applied to our own lives. One's negative and one's positive. So I'll start with the negative. Uh, We want God to speak to us, right? We don't want God to be silent in our lives. As humans, like the the deep longing God's put in us to hear from God and as Christians, to know what God wants for our lives. So I think one of the things we can learn from this passage is what sort of things cause God to be silent and then not do those things, right? If we want God to speak to us, we shouldn't do the things that before which he stands silent. So... I think we see as a negative example all the ways in which Jesus is mistreated, things to, to be careful to avoid. So we shouldn't be like Pilate. Our inquiry into who Jesus is and the things of God, whether it's sort of just direction for our own life or just trying to understand Christianity or theology or what God wants for us, if it's just casual, if we're not sort of already before we're asking, willing to do whatever he says... God is inclined to speak very little. I think we see that testimony throughout the scriptures, but especially in this Pilate-Jesus interaction. If we're just like, okay, God, you know, tell me what you'd like me to do, but we're not, he knows our hearts and we're not willing to do it, he will remain silent until there's willingness on our part, until we don't come with casual inquiry, but with earnest inquiry. So we need to not be like Pilate if we want God to speak to us. We need to not be like the crowd and the soldiers, Right? who, when we sort of boil it down, what are they doing? They're speaking evil of God. They're saying he deserves to be killed when he didn't, by his own merits, deserve to be killed. He deserved to be praised. And I think this is a temptation for Christians when things get hard, right? We tend to say, well, we need to be very careful to not let slip out of our lips the things that I'm ashamed to say. I have sometimes sort of wondered or said, like, is God even listening? Does he even care? Does he love us? Like, those sort of doubts, like, is to actually accuse God wrongly. 
He, he is listening. He's shown us and told us time and time again in his word. And in our experience, if we even listen to that, um, that he is present and does love us and is listening. We shouldn't speak evil of him or, or insult him. And not just with our lips, but there's many ways to insult, right? And I think the one we're inclined towards as Christians is to sort of be like the parable where with our lips we say, yes, God, I'll obey, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> and go the other way. And that's insulting. If someone did that to a man to man, you'd be insulted. And I think we do that with God. We say, yeah, yeah God, I'll do it. You're saying, oh, but I don't want to read that scripture or I don't want to remember that thing that you told me long ago or whatever it may be. So let's not be like the crowd or the soldiers insulting or speaking evil. And I think also to not be like the mockers at the foot of the cross who are just disbelie- in disbelief are sort of asking for more proofs of power. Like, come on, God, show me that you're powerful. Uh, you can hear that same evil spirit that was on Pilate's lips and in the lips of the accusing crowd. So, sort of, come on, show us what you've got. Let's not be like that. Let's trust that God is powerful. Trust his revealed power in parting the Red Sea, in raising Jesus from the dead, stuff we didn't see with our own eyes, but were demonstrations of his power. Trust the work he has done in our lives and, and not be sort of doing whatever those mockers were doing. I still can't quite find the right words for it, but I think you can see it. This is why actually the scripture gives us not just didactic teaching, but stories, because there's truths there that can be communicated at deep, deep levels. Let's not be like that mocking crowd, but let's recognize Jesus always for who he is, that he is the great king, that he is the son of God, that he is still ministering to us in a thousand ways, including through his church. Let's recognize God's power and not sort of doubt and claw after demonstrations. Okay, so those are all the negative things, right? Things if we want to hear from God to not do. There's also positive application, but it's every bit as difficult from this lesson that we heard about Jesus. Jesus gives his life, right, for us to imitate. Not in its particulars. None of us are called to the unique role of the Messiah. That was unique to Jesus. But in the way he carried out his mission and in sort of the things he lived by, we are to imitate him, right? As the master, so the disciples. So this silence of Jesus, I think we can learn from in our own lives. When none of us are called to be the Messiah. There's only one Messiah. Thanks be to God. Um, but we are called to imitate the virtues that he put forward in his mission. And in particular, I think in this case, the virtue of of sometimes silence. Right? I think in the same way Jesus before, whether it's before Pilate or these mockers, he doesn't throw his pearls before swine. When they say, is your God powerful? Does your God do anything? To not say, oh yes, yes he does, you've got to look at these things. And say, yeah. In that spirit, accuse away. And it was so interesting to me that Mark notes, Mark the Gospel writer, Pilate was amazed when Jesus didn't answer. Right? I think... It is right. God has given us a mission to evangelize, to share the gospel with the whole world. But if someone's coming in a sort of accusing, pilot-like way, you're not called to sort of bear your deepest heart to that person. Jesus remained silent in those moments. I think in particular, you know, sometimes something I've encountered in talking with non-believers is they sort of say, well, what have you got to show for your belief in God? What has he really changed in your life? And there's this sort of thing. And I've tried sometimes to be like, well, there's these things. And, but it, it's a false enterprise because the Lord works very mysteriously, as we know, and, and quietly and slowly in our lives. And it's very rare that we're able to point to, oh, I saw the Red Sea get parted. Very few people get to see that. 
Well, literally, but I, I meant metaphorically too. You know, like some great demonstration of God's power. But to not sort of believe the voice of the mocker or the accuser or the casual inquirer at all, but to say, no, I, I know that God is at work in the world. He has said that he is, and he demonstrated it many times in history. And I've seen it in my own life, but I can't even explain it to unbelief. It's very, you know, this is a precious things. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, was once asked, um, sort of very casually by someone like, oh, how's your walk with God? And he said, I would no more tell you about my intimacy with my Heavenly Father than I would tell you about what happens in my bedroom. Like, it's, it's dear and precious, and these are not things to just throw around. So I think we learn to sort of um, to be careful in our speech uh, when talking with unbelievers, to, to discern, are they really inquiring, or are they just looking for evidence to vindicate themselves? I think the other big takeaway in terms of what we can imitate is how much Jesus doesn't sort of stand up for his rights and sort of fight tooth and nail for what he deserves, right? But he's actually willing, when he knew it was the Father's will for his life, to bear with great difficulty. And our difficulties look different, right? Very few of us will be called to the martyr's life, as Jesus, of course, was called and all the martyrs since. But for us, it may be very other kind of difficulties, but instead of sort of saying, I didn't deserve this, I own this, I deserve better, I'm going to fight for this, I'm going to get every penny that I'm owed, I'm going to do these things, you know, which is our human impulse. And gasoline is poured on it by sort of the American spirit, right, which is, which is a wonderful thing in terms of what it's made for civilization, but we, in terms of law and rule of law and justice, I'm for all that. But we sort of internalize it selfishly, right? Like, what do I deserve? What, what should I get out of this? And Jesus does the opposite. He says, no, I'm, I won't stand up for that. I will willingly, if God has called me to it, I'll even bear with difficulty and insult and pain. And I want to be clear, when I'm talking about being silent, I'm not saying sort of this Victorian idea of when bad things happen, just bottle it all up. <laughs> but being silent in the face of the accuser and being willing to be wronged in humility. When someone wrongs you, okay, like, I didn't deserve that but in humility, to, to, to take it to the Lord. Jesus is silent, and this is sort of the crucial hinge of these gospel, this gospel lesson. He's silent before men, but he's vocal towards God. Right? He's taking his things to God, and he's praying from the cross. And I think as his church, we are not to be sort of just bottled it all up, but to share everything with God and also with the body of Christ, with each other. How can we bear each other's burdens if we don't know what each other's burdens are? Right? So it's not sort of, I'm not, please don't hear me wrongly, I'm not trying to say when bad things come, just, just stay quiet about it. <laughs> I'm saying, seek to imitate the Lord in a sort of gentleness and humility and a willingness to sort of suffer as it comes and to not sort of spit back in the face of the accuser, uh, but to bear with, with difficulty and hardship and, and insult. Exactly how that's applied in every situation is something we need God's wisdom for, right? Because like, we can picture the way in which you could sort of take this example that Jesus sets for us and, and warp it towards sort of, oh yeah, I'll just you know, stay in this terrible situation, just constantly be a doormat and abused. I don't think that's the right application of imitating our Lord. There are times to absolutely to flee danger, right? <laughs> and to get away from what is bad. So I'm not sort of trying to say just sort of lock yourself in something and just bear whatever comes. That wasn't what Jesus did. He was constantly taking everything to the Father and saying, Lord, what do I do here? There were some things he suffered and there's, you know, there were times when he spoke in his ministry and times when he remained silent. 
times when he took action and times when he remained passive for the Lord's will. So be wise and seek counsel of others in terms of how you might apply this in your own life. But the reason I'm speaking on the silence of Jesus is because I know that as a culture, our first impulse is always, no, 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 I'm going to fight out, I'm going to defend myself, I'm going to do all this stuff. And Jesus, I think, is showing us a more humble way. And I want to hold that up for us almost like an icon. The reason we have icons is so that we can picture, oh yeah, that's what that's something that's worth imitating. That's something holy. That's something to, as I look at, I want to grow to be more like. And I think the, the silence of Jesus is one of those things as well. So as we commence this Holy Week, I uh, invite you to ponder how and why and Jesus, Jesus remains silent and to ask the Lord how you might seek to imitate that same spirit uh, in your own difficulties and also to never be like the crowd who accused our Lord and was demanding signs. Amen.